This episode of With Love and Justice for All is brought to you by Bliss Books and Wine. Bliss Books and Wine is an independent black-owned bookstore for wine enthusiasts and book lovers. Listed as one of the black-owned bookstores in America that amplify the best in literature by OprahDaily.com, Bliss Books and Wine is your go-to for all your favorite titles, including ebooks and audiobooks. And when we buy from black-owned businesses, we are helping to create a world of racial equity. When ordering online, use the code 846BOOK for a 10% discount. That's 846-B-O-O-K for a 10% discount at blissbooksandwine.com. In order to advance racial equity, there is work for white people and people of color to do together and separately. The Project Sanctus Affinity Groups provide safe spaces for people to work within their own racial and ethnic groups. Join us every first and third Wednesday of the month at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom for brave, vulnerable conversations and for building culture through engaging embodied practices. For more details and a registration, visit projectsanctus.com. Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to episode 80 of With Love and Justice for All. This is the uh, final episode of our second season and we have a special guest with us today. Very excited. I'm going to introduce him in the moment. But first, I want to say hi to my partner in crime, consciousness and co-creation, Reverend Kelly Isola. How are you, Reverend Kelly? I'm good. I'm very excited about today. And number 80. Number, 80. number 80. We, we, made, we made it through two seasons. Yeah, and almost 3,000 downloads, right? Almost 3,000 downloads. And I think I might have to, we should probably revisit that season being 40 episodes because that's a lot. Maybe we should have like 20 episode seasons. I don't know. It feels like a lot. You know, we can make this up. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no strict. Here's what a season should be. So. Ogan, have we ever done anything that wasn't just made up? You're right. Good, good, good point. I don't know. I introduced now. Why stop now? (laughs) I am Reverend Ogan Holder and we are here as the official podcast for Project Sanctus having discussions around embodied anti-racism, dismantling oppression, fostering liberation, especially the special challenges that arise within spiritual communities and for spiritual seekers. As always, thank all of you who are listening in the United States and America, all over the world, places like my home country, Barbados, Nicaragua. Welcome, Nicaragua. We've got India, Canada, Singapore, Chile, Norway, the UK, just all over. We are so glad you're here. You can follow us more on Facebook and Instagram with the handle Get Our Holy On and watch the recording of this episode. And if you happen to be free at 3 p.m. Eastern, you'll see it happen live and you can join the conversation live in the comments. 
uh, you can leave a voicemail for us at 413-438-4659 or 413-GET-HOLY if you have some questions or some things you'd like to follow up on or topics you would like us to discuss. Um, so before we introduce our guests and, and jump in, Kelly's got a few brief invitations of some things coming up. What you got for us? Um, we have a new sort of program that we're rolling out and part one is uh, conscious anti-racism, equity and liberation. And that starts on March 16th, March 16th, 17th and 18th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it's a three-part series that we're just gonna kind of move ourselves into uh, looking at systems of oppression, looking at, at scarcity, separation, um, how we embody these systems, and then moving into some practices and just each each session, you know, three days in a row, going a little bit deeper, more into the embodiment. And of course, we don't cover the totality of everything around equity and liberation, but hopefully get individuals more engaged and creating some, uh, you know, what can I do kind of thing, you know, moving forward and um, really continue their own self-inquiry. Uh, so that's March 16th, 17th, and 18th, uh, 10 to 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can register on the website. That registration is up right now. We also have, starting April 4th, um, we're gonna do on the first Saturday of every month from 10 to 11.30 a.m., we are going to engage with the book, Do the Work. Uh, we've done this book before in our 846 book club, and it's really, really, um, people enjoy it. It's very engaging. It's it's a activity book. like So it's not like oodles and oodles of reading. It really is an activity book. So when we get the question, well, what can I do? What can I do? We're like, here, do this. So the first Saturday of every month, we will come together for 90 minutes and work through some activities uh, and do that together. And then uh, on starting on March 21st, uh, our 846 book club is starting a new book. Uh, it's called Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, and it's all about pleasure of the human experience and really awakening ourselves to stop settling for things less than joy and pleasure and meaning and fulfillment. So that starts March 21st. Tuesday evenings goes till April 25th, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, and there's more coming out uh, in our newsletters and social media. So I think I think that's enough announcements. I think that's enough. And again, you can register for all of these online at projectsanctus.com. Speaking of joy and pleasure, it is our joy and pleasure to have back <laughs> with us uh, Dr. Joel Davis-Brown. I almost said Reverend Doctor. <laughs> did, you, did you hear me? You heard it, didn't you? He started laughing. I almost said Reverend Doctor. Just Doctor. Doctor, Doctor Joel Brown. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm good. It's good to be on your what 80th? 80th episode. episode, yes. And this is this is the season finale, right? So this is like back in the old days where yes. we had the, the major episode that kind of set the cliffhanger for the next season. Yes. Right. But okay. no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything like Jr. Um, found shot in the chair, or anything like right. that. Right, and right. we all just date, we all just dated ourselves. Anywho, anywho, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Joel. He's the chief visionary officer of Numos LLC. He works 
strategically with a variety of organizations like nonprofits, Fortune 500 companies, churches, and institutions of higher learning to build consciousness, capacity, community, and collective esteem. His work spans five continents, and his mission is to facilitate liberation for every global citizen. I love that. And why he's here today, mainly, but we're going to have some wide-ranging discussions. But specifically, congratulations are in order. Joel just published a book I know that he's been working on for some time. It's been a labor of love. Um, it is called The Souls of Queer Folk, How Understanding LGBTQ Plus Culture Can Transform Your Leadership Practice. So first of all, Joel, congratulations. Thank for you. publishing the book. It's been out just a few days now. Um, yeah, it's good, good, good to finally see it. How how's it feel? How's it feel to to birth to birth this baby? Let me pinch myself. I still <laughs> it still hasn't hit. Uh, so uh, I, I think to use a metaphor, and I don't want to equate this obviously with child care and childbirth, but maybe the anesthetic is still there, needs to wear off a little bit. The epidural <laughs> is still there. Uh, so the it hasn't quite hit me yet. Yeah. Um, Has anyone asked you when the next book is coming out yet? No, but I'm sure <laughs> neither one of you will be surprised. I already have two in the works. Shocker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not not surprised. So let me start. Let me start with the obvious question. Why this book and why now? Why this book and why now? Interesting question. Um, I think right. Why this book and why right now? Leadership is in trouble right now. If you look around the world, you look in our country, you look in our communities, you look in our neighborhoods, leadership is I'm not going to say it's is gone, but I think really quality leadership is something that's been that's not been really highlighted. And I think we saw kind of the the nadir of leadership between 2016 and 2020. And I think we're still seeing that, particularly here in the United States, but I think globally as well. So the opportunity becomes for us to talk about how do we make leadership better? How do we groom leadership? And I think we first have to recognize that leadership is not an external thing. What I mean by that is it's not something that other people do or only people with certain levels of position and power and privilege have. We all can be leaders in terms of our lives, our families, our relationships, our spiritual practice, um, our neighborhoods, how we lead the world. And so if we recognize that, and then this is a really uh, a timely book, a timely prescription for how we can rebuild our leadership practice. And there's no better example, there's no better community or case study than the LGBTQ community. So for me and for the book, it's really about how do we get back to being the best version of ourselves? And if you look at this community, one that faces so many obstacles and still manages to be great in many ways, I think it behooves us to study that example and say, what can we learn from this community and how can we incorporate that into our daily practice, whatever that practice might be to be better versions of ourselves. So that's why I think it's a timely book. And I think this is the right time for the book to be discussed. What, so I, there's right near the beginning, you, one thing I loved that you wrote was here, let me already tell you what you're thinking about how this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, like if I don't, when I see the title, 
right? Mm. The souls of queer folk. I, I'm like, well, I'm not LGBTQ plus. Like what? Like there's, because there's already this disconnect, right? In our culture mm. yeah. and the othering. Um, so what, I just want to hear you like kind of reiterate that, like somebody listening that goes, that says the same thing, but how, do, what does this have to do with me? Yeah, you all are asking really good questions, by the way. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, I've been so focused on writing that it's nice to come out and actually be thinking more from a macro level. It's not about being queer, it's about being queer-minded. And so what does it mean to be queer-minded? Mm. Queer-minded means that you're able to step back and look at the system for what it is, to look at your life and say, how can I be better? How can I be adaptive? How can I be even more authentic, more empathetic, more conscious and socially aware of what's around me? How can I use meager or sometimes non-existent resources to create positive impact? That's the legacy of the queer community. So even if you don't know queer people, or if you know queer people and you don't know them or us well, even if you're a member of the community, or even if you are wary of the community, we know there are people around the world who still don't recognize the power, the beauty that the community possesses. There's something in here that you can learn. One of the things I've always realized as I've gotten older, as in my, uh, as I've matured and become hopefully a better leader for myself, is that you can always learn from everybody. And for me, I see the community as a diamond that's been thrown to the side and left in the dust. And now I'm hoping that people pick up that diamond, dust off and say, there's so much here that we can learn, that we can extract. But not in a cultural misappropriation way, but in a belonging way, in a human-centered way, in a conscious way, because I do think what we represent is a lot. And, you know, and if you look at a lot of the Native American or indigenous nations around North America, queer people were the spiritual advisors. And so I kind of look at our community as being the spiritual nursemaid, if you will, for helping to move our society forward. So you use the word souls in the title. You're just, you know, you're just speaking of spiritual leadership, but this isn't a book about spiritual leadership, or is it? Yeah, I would say, again, um, I think leadership is about spirit in part because you have to lead yourself. You have to mm. excavate and uncover yourself and to get rid of the muckety muck that blocks you from being your best self. Before you can lead anybody else, you have to lead yourself. And that is a spiritual journey. That is a spiritual opportunity. <clears throat> that is a spiritual assignment. So in that respect, I do think it's a, a spiritual opportunity for people to say, how can I be a better version of myself? And how can I be the best person I can be in order to do blank, whatever that might be? You mm -hmm. have to answer that question before you can lead groups and peoples and societies and nations and whatnot, which is probably why, again, some of our leaders and some of the leadership that we've witnessed has been so negative, has been so ineffective because people don't realize that there has to be a, a there has to be an alignment between you and right. your soul and your spirit and your purpose in order for you to then connect with other people. So you know me, I think this spiritual opportunity and everything. And so I guess in that uh, framing, yes, it is also very much a spiritual book as well. It can be read at that level. Well, you say that in the, uh, the one of the first poems near the beginning, the, the very opening line, like I love the whole poem, but it was kind of the first line that said, it seems people believe too much and know too little. And I just kind of stopped there and went, 
yeah. Wait, say that. Like, say I, say that again. People. It it seem it seems people believe too much and know too little. Mm. And and I, as I was just now listening to you, Joel, talking about our, you know, you know, the past, um, however many years, and where we are right now. This just believe whatever you hear or see, but you don't actually know, you know, not knowing I and I read it as not knowing like cognitively, but knowing, like, as you just sort of described. Um, Yeah, I think and and that poem, it actually comes from one that I wrote, uh, probably 13, 15 years ago. I think what it speaks to is if we look at our society, in particular social media, which, as we all know, is fraught with many different uh, complications, but it's reflective of where we are in terms of our discourse, our engagement, our consciousness, what gets our attention, our longing, our desire, and sometimes, you know, our healing that needs to take place. It's very easy for us to talk about what we know. We can go to, we can do research, we can go online, we can go to Wikipedia, we can do all sorts of things, and we, everybody can pretend to be an expert. Um, but the question is, who are we at the soul to soul level in terms of our conviction? And that requires us to look deeper and appear into places that are uncomfortable. Now, getting back to the whole spiritual element of this, queer people for centuries have had to peer into the dark recesses of the soul and say, who are we? Especially and particularly at times when there's been no affirmation, no uh support from an external community you know we've had been in situations where our god has been removed from us our religious community has been removed from us our families have been removed from us and to come and to be have that experience and that journey ritualized i.e called coming out and to think about who we are and to have to really face demons and questions and insecurities and still come out on the other side and said i choose to be this and this is the best version of myself and i choose to lead to take this part of myself to move forward is a very powerful thing. I think it's one of the more underestimated aspects of leadership that is really necessary for our world. And it's something that our community has done quite a bit of. And that's not to say that everybody in the community has been successful, has completed that process. And there's there are many reasons for that. Obviously, we live in an oppressive society and there are forces out there that would rather that we not do that. But the opportunity to do that means that you have faced who you are and you face questions about that and say, I know who I am. I know what who I am in terms of being a, a child of spirit or being a, a creation of spirit and being part of the universe. And that rootedness then allows you to then do powerful, miraculous things in the world. But you have to first be connected and anchored to source, whatever that source is, whether that's your belief, whether that's that vision, however that is. And this is something that, again, queer people do almost routinely as though it's not something that many people even think about. When I came out, I wasn't thinking about spirit and and those sorts of things. I was just thinking about survival. But having done that, it has prepared me to be able to do a number of different things. When I face obstacles, I can say, if I came through that, if I came from a period where someone basically told me that I don't exist, or if I'm in a country where someone tells me that I'm illegal, then think about what I can do now, having come from that, from a place of not know, not believing and not knowing to a place of full knowing, full embrace, full alignment. So it is something where I would ask people to think about who are we? 
Um, and it comes from an internal place, right? Leadership must come from an internal source rather than an external place of validation, which is what we're seeing. You know, people determine who they are and what they want to be and how they want to lead by what they see out in the world. My grandfather always said, when you make decisions, when you are a leader, go into a closet. That's what my grandfather said. Now, at the time, as a little boy, I thought, go into a closet. So I actually went into a closet thinking, well, what am I doing here in the closet? But then I realized what he was saying was, you go internal and you search your soul to know what is right and what is true for you. You get in touch with your values. And that is a place from which you make decisions. And I would also say, of course, him saying that I think is telling and I think obviously relates to the community and to this book because there's obviously a parallel between going into the closet, um, coming out of the closet and going into the closet from an internal place to be whoever you're supposed to be, to be that powerful version of yourself. So to that poem and to that line within that first stanza is very much about get to know yourself, be clear about who you are, then you can lead other people. And that doesn't mean that that process is going to be linear. It's cyclical, right? It's a spiral. I have had to get to know myself every single day, but I can tell you at this point, I know when I'm not being myself. I know when I'm not being my best self. And I've also come to love myself. And I think, again, the community has done a fantastic job of saying to people, this is how you can love yourself, even if you have no external validation. If you're in Zambia, if you're in China, if you're in New Zealand, or if you're in the United States, there's a way for you to love yourself and to lead others and to most importantly, do something great with your life and to honor yourself in the best way possible. Nice. Nice. I like that. I like that very much. I'm like, I'm like letting that wash over me. Letting that wash over you? Yeah. <laughs> letting that wash over me before I just barrel on. Um, so, so in the book, you, you write about, or you share these nine leadership dimensions that you have developed. And these come from, I mean, not just your work experience, but your life story, the, the, the life stories of, of other uh, queer folk as well. Um, so, so we have things like um, justice and LGBTQ plus leadership, authenticity, verve, resilience, somatic awareness, perceptiveness, interconnectedness, non-binary thinking, creativity. So I want to ask you about verve. When you say verve, what does that mean for you? Because for me, verb speaks to like, you know, get up and go and enthusiasm. Like, are you meaning it the same way when you say verb? And, and how is that? How is, how does, how is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question in the clumsiest way possible. So <laughs> I'm just saying, saying Don't that, up, saying that up front, uh, AR using it that same way. And however you using it, these all right, you know what? Let me let me back up a little bit because the way the way I read these, these are not qualities, um, you know, particular to the LGBTQ plus community. I read this as the 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 way the LGBTQ plus community um, approaches or has had to experience these qualities and these dimensions is particularly unique, um, and and I think that's what you've been alluding to so far. So talk to me about, about verb, verb. Is that different from passion and, and why that word and what does it mean to you? 
I think Verve incorporates passion. Uh, so I, I first want to go back to something you said uh, in terms of how we look at these qualities and these values. The queer community doesn't have exclusive domain to these things, but I think it's important to also recognize our community's cultural genius, our wisdom, has been informed by ethnic minorities, women and people who identify as women, people from different faith traditions, people from different generational cohorts, immigrants, but we also bring in the wisdom of gender and sexual minorities who have not, whose wisdom has, at least in the modern era, been circumvented or has been dismissed or overshadowed. Okay. So it's, we are a blend. We are a heterogeneous community. As I say in the book, we are one community, but many people. So, you know, when we look at it from an intersectional lens, it's not as though, you know, oh, today as a queer person, you get to exhibit this, but then it's not available to you as a woman or as a black person. We know that our communities feed and support each other in many different ways. So I will first say that. In terms of verve, there's something to be said about how you show up. And in, in my community, sometimes we call that flavor. And, you know, the French call it je ne sais quoi. There's something beautiful about how we show up. And it's not just a matter of having enthusiasm and vigor and zeal and zest, although I think those are important. It's also about the positive psychology. It's also about the enthusiasm. It's also about an appreciation for beauty and life and all of its different dimensions. It's also the ability to inspire people from a positive place and to, I, I would say, reflect and to mirror how it is to hold your trauma in your hand, to examine it and to love it, and then to move forward. So to do so, to inspire people to live in a way where it's not coming from a negativist standpoint of what you have to overcome, but it's about what you can embrace. So that is a very important quality. When we think about all the leaders, I think about my the leaders who have inspired me. We think about, let's say, somebody like a Dr. King. We think about a Coretta Scott King. We think about Fannie Lou Hamer. We think about you know all the number of you know Martha P. Johnson, you know, for example, or you know any of the leaders from around the world. What inspires us, at least, what inspired me is that they help us to see a vision. They help us to see, they speak toward the better angels of our nature. So what they're doing is in that moment or in those uh, spaces, they're being positive and they're bringing forward that zeal, that zest, that vigor, that enthusiasm that's so important to live on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't mean everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that you, for example, might not be hungry or looking for food or money or that you might not be alienated from your family but it's that you can still look at life and see that there's something remarkable here. And there's a spark, there's an energy that you want to not only hold on to, but that you can amplify so that others can say, there's a way and there's a, uh, an opportunity, for, uh, a way for us to move forward. So it is what you said, uh, Ogan, but it's, it's also so much more than that. And yes, it's not something that's particular to the community, but when I think about the community from my lens and my journey, one of the things that's always stood out to me is, yeah, there's strength, but there's joy. There's an exuberance. There's an irrepressibility. There's a, yeah, you're you're doing all these things to me, and guess what? I still have this nice smile on my face, and I'm still going to be the, you know, who I need to be. And that's a quality that I think we need to have as well, especially coming after pandemics and all the things. That we, I think there's an opportunity for us to reclaim our joy and to also recognize that our pain and our suffering doesn't need to be carried like a, a badge of courage. And what I mean by mm -hmm. that is. Not to say that you can't show other people, hey, I've come through similar things, but there's another step. And the other step is how do you heal yourself? How do you, even with everything seemingly closing in, how do you find joy in the mundane? How do you find peace 
in the moment. That is what I think is important. And so as I talk about in the book, there's many different ways in which we as a community have been able to do that. And I think that's another quality and another leadership competency, if you want to call it that, that we need today, particularly given some of the things that we're dealing with, whether it's extremism, pandemics, climate change, uh, the rolling cycle of the economy, et cetera, et cetera. I like the... Um... I just love the word verve because uh, it's 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 an onomatopoeia, right? It sounds like what it means. Yeah. Um, especially if you put some energy behind it. And what I keep thinking about is, um, and I think these are the words you used in the book was style and flair. Yeah. And um and flair is just there's there's I guess it's the claiming and owning style and flair. Uh, that I notice or that I I might connect with more so than when I look at, um, you know, uh, white body, cisgender, heteronormative, I need to keep myself in this. There's no such thing as flair, maybe a little, you know, but, but flair is not, not, um, and I even find within like fat justice community, there's this, this longing to, you know, and doing so, you know, the, the, the flair and the style and own it and claim it and be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically and traditionally, well, not as a leader. I mean, you're supposed to be all buttoned up. You know? um, that doesn't work for me. I don't think it works for a lot of people. And, and that doesn't mean being braggadocious. I'm, I, I try not to be oh, yeah. braggadocious, but it, you know, I'm a big sports fan. So when I watch someone like LeBron, for example, if he's on a breakaway, uh, or a fast break, is he going in for a layup or is he going to do something nice and funky with the dunk? What's going to get people up? If you're going to a concert, I'm a big Prince fan and, and you know, God rest his soul. Uh, if he's just kind of playing this ditty, but it's in a very conservative way, but if he's giving a little flair and extra punch and, and juice to it, what's going to get people more inspired? And yeah. so we see these things all the time in terms of artistry, in terms of sport. Mm. But then when it comes to our day-to-day living, it's, well, I guess I shouldn't, uh, I don't need to buy myself flowers. I don't need to uh, take time to take stock of beauty. I need to be, I need to, as you pointed out, Reverend Kelly's, you know, it's all about staying boxed in. And I think that boxed inness is what's hurting us. And, and it's, it's making us to be kind of bland and it's making us not be very interesting. And of course, none of us can be somebody else. So the very act of trying to conform is kind of a, a, an exercise in folly because I can't be someone else but I can be myself. And it's about being the best version of yourself. Some people may read that section thinking, well, I have to be, you know, have this, this magnanimous personality like Reverend Olgan or Reverend Kelly. And it's not about this, like, you know, but figure out what is it that gives you that makes you unique? What is it that makes you really interesting? Yeah. There's a part of you there that the world needs to, because in that there's something that can be inspirational something that can change a vibration and something that can lead us to a better outcome and a better reality just by, how you think. And I never forget working for a company, which I'll go Renee, she'll remain nameless. And they kind of dampen my enthusiasm for life. Let's just put it, I'm trying to be very <laughs> diplomatic. And I wasn't feeling them. And I remember one of my coworkers pulled me aside at one point. And this was my last company or employer before I started my business in 2005. And she said, you know, when I come into work, seeing you and seeing you be you helps me get through the day there's a magnetic quality that you bring to the environment and when you're not being yourself realize that other people are seeing that 
And so never doubt the amount of influence that you have just by bringing a little bit of extra verb and bringing a little extra flair. And that doesn't mean it replaces substance. It means that you're bringing substance and you're bringing something that has an, an electric or magical quality to it. So two things. Uh, one, thank you for the compliment of, oh, of know, magnanimous. It, it's refreshing after recently coming off a boat of being told I was basically an angry black man, um, and which I which I found curious because I'm like, angry is not a word that it's often used to describe me. Trust me, you haven't seen me angry yet. But also, uh, um, this is humorous, but not really counterpoint on the LeBron James uh, point there. Uh, we all know LeBron's getting up in years, right? We all we all know that body's b- body ain't doing what it used to do. So sometimes when he's running down the court, he is gonna just lay it out to to con- conserve himself a little energy. You know, now that he's won the scoring title, the all-time scoring title, you know, he might he might go a little bit more. I don't know. You know, he's chasing another ring, all that sort of stuff. So, but I, I bring that up as sort of like the idea of. Um, I don't want to say pacing ourselves, but pacing ourselves, because one of the things that uh, marginal people in marginalized communities often have to be mindful of is is our our self-care or or energy. Right. Because we're dealing with oppressions like obvious and micro. We're dealing uh, with, like you say, that, you know, we're, we're, we're carrying that anger, that pain, that hurt. We don't want to overlook it or ignore it or keep perseverating on it. But at the same time, we we need to stay connected to it and speak to it. And at the same time, we are still pursuing pleasure and joy and verbs to use your words. It's a lot. So sometimes, yeah, we go in for the dunk. Sometimes we have to go in for the layup. So I don't know. What do you what do you what do you think about that? And I don't mean it as a again counter to your point, but sort right. of like a, you know, there's a reason sometimes LeBron does a layup versus a dunk. Right. right. And by the way, I have seen you angry when your Boston Celtics lost to my Milwaukee Bucks, but we won't. All right. That. All right. That's we we had to go there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. So here's what I would say uh, about what you said. What is the the source or the where's the inspiration coming from if i'm am i dunking for the audience or am i dunking for myself Mm. that's that's an important consideration because sometimes and i would say most times i would encourage people don't focus on your facebook followers don't focus on how many instagram uh followers you have and how many people you can influence are you doing it from yourself what's your where does your compass come from so for me you know, we all have seen people, I'm sure, who are walking down the street and they have that, again, that flavor, that je ne sais quoi. But what stands out to me is the person who is doing it because it's just part of who they want to be in the world. They're not doing it for applause. And that's what we're really speaking to. Mm-hmm. I would also say, too, in terms of verb and flair, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. Sometimes verb and flair, i.e. an appreciation for life, is just about you connecting with your humanity or finding a way to connect with someone else's humanity. So it could be simply a matter of saying, good morning, buen dia, bonjour, as you're walking down the street. It could be looking someone in the face. It could be complimenting someone on the subway and saying, you know, I like that sweater that you have on. It could be saying to a partner or a lover, I love you. I appreciate you. It doesn't have to be something like a parade, but there are small discreet ways in which we can connect with someone and still exhibit 
zest and zeal and enthusiasm and flair that make a positive impact. Going back to, again, the idea that leadership doesn't have to be you leading a multinational, you leading a nation state, you being mm -hmm. the head of the United Nations. It could simply be in how are you inspiring people around you or how are you giving energy and life pulse back to others? How are you tapping into your life energy as it were in order to be the best version of yourself? even though there might not be an applause. Yeah. I've walked down the street sometimes and seen people listening to music and they're unaware that anybody's watching them, but they're just jamming and doing their thing. That's the type of zest that I, would, I think leaders need to embody because otherwise it becomes this narcissistic showmanship type of thing or show person type of thing that I think is uh, really at, at the end of the day is going to be short-lived, illusory and probably something not really impactful for the masses. That's me and my driving around in my car singing yeah. at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yeah. What do you saying? And you think and, and yeah, and and but you think no one can see you. Right? Exactly. Go ahead. No, no. I was I was going back to the basketball metaphor, but we, we might have oh, we might have exhausted it. If it's that. okay with you, I'd like to move off basketball <laughs> since I don't really connect with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I understand the metaphor. Um because mm -hmm. so Ogan brought up these nine meta themes you know, uh, uh, in the leadership, but, but before in the book, before you actually got to that place, you, you were defining LGBTQ plus culture and, and the values of, of that culture. And you came up with, um, these 15 values and I'm still, uh, um, wanting to kind of, because uh, when I look at those, I'm like, yes, yes, yeah, you know, equity, diversity, creativity, gender fluidity. So there's these values. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that someone listening that is not part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. um, like, okay, like, I, I just, um, it's almost, I don't know that it's a devil's advocate, but it's looking at it and go, yes, I, these got it i understand these uh, so but still looking at it like why are we separating or why do i need to read this if i'm not part of the community and how does this impact me and i don't know i don't know a better way to ask that question i just because mm -hmm. it because it's such a it's a wonderful book and it's powerful and i want to come back to the sex positivity value um too because uh but i just i i really want someone who may think that this I, I already am aware of these values but why are you calling them out over here does that make sense uh somewhat so why am i calling them out there because it's they've been blended into this perfect package that has allowed people to escape death and persecution and repression and okay. violation. so that's yeah. the first thing you know um when i looked at the community when i first started my research i wasn't even thinking about leadership and prescriptions and books and and podcasts all that i just was curious because i do think we're at a time in our society where people you know queer people are seemingly everywhere but we're not, still not understood and we oh know you talked about that the visible invisible mm -hmm. yes yeah, yeah. I, I like kind of the uh, the queer paradox so we're everywhere right. but not understood and i think black people to also have that in common where we're everywhere but we're still misunderstood even after being in you know, the west for 500 years so I think it's important, number one, to recognize that the particular recipe, the particular combination, if you will, has allowed people to survive under some very dire circumstances. And so there's that. 
I think it's important from an ethnographic standpoint to highlight who we are and to tell our story because it really has not been told in the way that I think lends credence to who we are. Even to this day, I will hear people say things like, well, I don't care what you do in bed. You know, I don't. I, I love queer people. I love LGBTQ people. I don't care what you do in bed. And that very statement undercuts and robs us of our humanity and also describes us in a way where we're supposed to be acultural, like we're not seen as being a culture. So there's that. But I would also say, in terms of high living, um, any of us have gone to the doctor, any of us have gone had a coach, any of us have gone to and spoken to a minister, anybody who's listened to how to live better, it's often not anything grandiose that we need to focus on or we need to incorporate into our day-to-day -day routine is often the simple things that we've forgotten. So a lot of what this book is supposed to do is to remind us of the very elemental elementary things that we can do to be our best selves that don't require us to have a lot of money, that don't require us to have done X number of things, but the things that are, are readily accessible to us if we just elevate our mindset. So I think that's important. And again, here's a community that's been able to do it and do it well and to do it in kind right. of possible. So pay attention to it because again, you know, if, if we're being real, you know, these these values they're not just things that have allowed people to be the life of the party. People have escaped murder, you know, and so that's why I think it has uh, great import if we focus on it from that standpoint. Did you have a follow-up question? So, well, yeah, I just realized that, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, how I, how I, you know, am understanding or or looking at this and wanting to be able to, you know, speak into it is that. Um, it's not these are these values and and these meta themes they're more often than not what i see in leadership trainings classes whatever is as something aspirational as opposed to these are already embodied correct and it's as you said you know um embodied and already you know for decades centuries whatever the number seeing them in manifest form um, and really lived out even to escape murder and, and other horrific um, violent acts. Does that make right. sense? These are, yeah, these are practice things. And so anytime someone speaks about something, you have to go by, uh, focus on the areas where you have the most expertise. And so for me, the expertise is living as a gay man. I'm able to see these things up front and close right. and personal. And so... Yeah, someone might come and say, well, of course, a lot of people or a lot of cultures, a lot of societies exhibit nurture. Well, here's a particular way that has been done that I think adds a bit of a quote unquote LGBTQ plus queer twist that I think can inform people of how to move from the theoretical to the practical. That's the key thing here is not just let these things live in your head and not to live, allow them to live in academia or intellectual spaces, but how do you actually apply them? And so the book, as you know, is at the end of each of the leadership chapters, there are questions, there are activities, there are things that I want yeah. to move on. And so it's, it's how do we actually make this demonstrable as opposed to just buzzwords that we talk about? Because that's been kind of the frustration that I've had or that I did have when I was taking leadership courses is that you'd read a lot of these, what I call crusty theories by people who have um, come from long before and they sound great. You know, I've, I've read, for example, Otto Scharmer, I've read um, from a number of different leaders out there about leadership, but how do you make it real and living and accessible? So that's where I think the queer community is once again, a wonderful case study because we've been able to actually make these things live and breathe and practical so that if you look at our experiences you can say 
wow, here's a way to do this. And the book is designed to help people to move from a theoretical place to an actualized place because leadership by itself cannot just exist in theory. It has to be demonstrated. And so for me, it was really important in writing the book to make sure that there was some practical application to this so that people could leave or finish reading the book or uh, review a chapter and say, this is a way that I can apply this. I can actually do this instantly. This doesn't require me to meditate or be 700 years old or to have the accumulated wisdom of Reverend Ogan and Reverend Kelly. I can just be my best self or be my normal self and apply these things right here, right now in a very tangible way. So speaking, I, uh, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kelly. No, go, go ahead, go ahead. Um, speaking of, you know, meditation and collective wisdom, uh, I want to segue to the section in the book you have about neutralizing the weaponization of religion. Yes. So in a book that's about leadership, why are you bringing up religion? Now, I, and I access from the premise of, you know, I'm someone working in a Fortune 500 company. And mm -hmm. I hear about, and I hear about, you know, hey, Dr. Joel Brown is uh, it's a good speaker and, and he's been recommended to come in and do some work. And I pop open your book and you're talking about weaponization of religion and what, what's, what's that got to do with anything? Well, I think when you are looking to achieve a certain goal, any good coach will tell you, you also have to anticipate where people are going to be resistant. And so those sections are identified to help people to realize that, okay, you're going to leave, hopefully, ha having heard me on the podcast, having heard me in a keynote and say, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to go out and, and get my queer inspired wisdom. And then you're going to run into or encounter some barriers and hurdles that are going to maybe put you back into old ways of thinking. And I want you to be prepared for it. It's the same way, for example, that if you are, it's the beginning of the year and you've been inspired to eat differently or to uh, meditate more or to go to the gym, you've got to anticipate what are going to be the gremlins out there that are going to tell you, don't do that. You know, and when you're going to say to yourself, I don't want to meditate. Um, this is stupid. I look foolish. That monkey chatter, or it's going to be other people saying, why are you doing that? All of the different stressors, the different distractors, the different naysayers in the world they're going to tell you you shouldn't think about blank you shouldn't give credence or honor to blank so that's why it's there and i think it's very real one of the reasons if we're talking about going back to kelly's question why do we focus on why it's important to focus on queer wisdom because it's been sitting right there in front of us and for reasons that i think all of us are aware of or maybe we're not aware of it has not been fully honored and let's just be honest and real as i like to always be one of the reasons that it has been obscured, negated, mitigated, and dismissed is because of the weaponization of religion. Now, in that chapter, I don't, I don't say that religion is, has no place. What I'm saying is religion has been used in a particular way to denigrate queer wisdom and queer people. And you have to be aware that if you want to have full access to it. So it's about preparation. It's about recognizing what's out there. And it's about recognizing how you can stay fully present with this, even as the currents of discrimination and oppression continue to swirl around us. And also about, I would also think uh, for, for those, especially in the uh, heterosexual community who are reading this, their own internalized unconscious homophobia and transphobia and queerphobia, that is the result of, of religion. Because, you know, what, you know, as, as I'm going through my own really 
intensive, never ending process of deconstruction and decolonizing all these internalized um, isms and phobias. Um, growing up in a very religious space and being taught homophobia, basically being taught that to be queer is to be anti-God. Um, even though I'm well intellectually on the other side of it, um, well embodied from an embodied perspective on the other side of it, that in those embodied phobias, those internalized earliest programmings, the tape's still running in the background. Right. Yeah. And I and I never and and it still shocks me when I feel myself like bodily pushback against something that intellectually I know mm -hmm. is more than okay. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Why am I feeling that discomfort? And it's because of that old programming. So mm -hmm. I know for a lot of folks to be in the space of learning from the queer community um, through you. And not just queer, but as a as a black person as well, it it'll it'll push against some of those internalized, uh, really deep down embedded programming isms and phobias that they may not have really been aware that were still there, until specifically uh, addressed. Absolutely, I can bring to you uh, wisdom. I can bring to you a really great meal, but if you're not ready to take it you will never ever be able to enjoy it. You know, what's the saying? Uh, my grandmother used to say this all the time. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can teach a fool of thought, but you can't make him think. You didn't know that last part, did you? So <laughs> it's really important to decolonize the mind and to unenslave the mind because we're receiving thousands of messages every single day that tell us directly the opposite. There's a mm -hmm. reason why, for example, queer wisdom has been repressed and pushed out. I mean, I talk a little bit in the book about the history of colonialism and imperialism and how in many of the former, uh, what, what would you call them? I guess, um, colonies of the British empire, the protectors, yep. if you want to call them that. Uh, you know, nowadays, quote, nowadays we, we are politically correct. We call them the commonwealth. The commonwealth, yes. Um, in many of the former colonies, uh, homosexuality was criminalized and queerness was criminalized. Still is in a lot of places. And it still is in places like Singapore and places like India. So there's no accident that this, this community, this wisdom has been suppressed and oppressed. And again, this wisdom is designed to be a liberatory tool. So if it's liberatory in this nature, that means that we have to also speak to the things that bind us and the things that oppress us and religion when it's used negatively, spirituality, when it's used negatively, has been one of those things. And so I wade into those waters and I speak to that very plainly because I think, again, to your point, if you're not already, if you're not thinking about that, if you're not aware of that, it could be very easy to say, well, okay, this is great. He said that queer people are cool, but I know the Bible or uh, the Torah or the Quran tell me, so therefore I'm going to ignore it. And I think that would be at a great disservice to anybody who reads the book. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, I actually wanted to come back uh, just because it was intriguing and I doubt seriously it gets spoken about often, but one of the, the cultural values was sex positivity and to, you know, well, it's sort of a two-part question. So you have these 15 cultural values and then, you know, these nine themes emerge that you then unpack and, you know, and I love that each, each one has these questions and that inquiry and you know, looking at how I'm being a leader and 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 that value. So my first question is, 
uh, how did you go, and maybe it's not a big question, but to go from those 15 to, down to the nine? Because um, uh, I look at those 15 and I'm like, well, they're all important. And then this, the follow-up question is the sex positivity one, because I'm totally intrigued by that in mm -hmm. terms of when you think about leadership, that's not usually on the agenda. <laughs> no, it most certainly is not. And I can tell you, as a labor and employment attorney, and as someone who's worked with many HR departments, for good reason, in some ways it's not. But I, so I'll, I'm going to go in reverse order. Yeah. What I would say first in terms of sex positivity, the way I frame that from a leadership lens is in somatic awareness and helping people to be more aware of what's in their body, because our bodies give us information that is informative and is useful for us to understand how to react in certain situations, how to be a better version of ourselves and how to tap into our values more explicitly. And in Western society, we've been we've been taught to disassociate from that, that information, that wealth of knowledge that is so vital to being a well-rounded human being. How many of us, for example, have been in a situation where intuitively you've known something was not correct or right or in your best interest, but you've still gone forward to great peril or to great risk to yourself. So what I'm asking and we're inviting us to do is to allow ourselves to be informed by that somatic wisdom, because I think that's important. What I also talk about in the book is the fact that somatic awareness, when we talk about romance, we talk about attraction, there has to be a different paradigm and a different way of talking about it because what we've done is not working. Women are still being harassed and sexually harassed and microaggressed within workplaces. Men are being sexually harassed and microaggressed to a lesser extent. And so for me, what I think about is maybe there's an opportunity for us to think about these things differently because what we're doing is not working. And typically, the way that many lawyers and HR departments and people in general think about how to deal with dynamics is just not to talk about them. So a lot of the sexual harassment training, a lot of the HR training is, we're just not going to talk about romantic attraction. We're not going to talk about it, which means that it still comes up and people don't know how to deal with it effectively. So one of the things I say in the book is perhaps this is an opportunity for us to rethink how we talk about sexual attraction and sexuality, because if... if I'm being honest, the sexual education that I received when I was in high school was lacking. It didn't really do much for me, not just because I was gay and queer and outside the mainstream, but in terms of, you know, what this meant and how you should feel and how do you handle this, which is a very real part of the human experience. It was kind of basic. What I'm also... Yeah, my, my, mine was be careful what you wear, be careful, you know, the places you go, you know, oh, we put didn't... all the onus on me. Right. We didn't we didn't have one in Barbados at all. No, okay. no, no, that's that not a part of uh, it might be now. But when I went to school, it was not. But yet we were expected to know what not to do. Exactly. And telling someone what not to do is insufficient for telling someone how to embrace yes. what is a very natural, healthy part of the human experience, which is yes. sex, sexuality and attraction. I think we need to think more about that. I think what if work centers and workplaces, and this is going to require a whole lot of courage, which I don't know if many people have this amount of courage to do this at this current time, to talk about how do we handle attraction, particularly at a time when we're working longer hours and are in closer proximity with people who we don't have necessarily uh, the opportunity and the permission to uh, talk about romance, sex, and sexuality with. I don't have all the answers, but what I can point to is what we're doing is not effective. It isn't. And people are leaving companies, dealing with trauma, 
in many and worse situations are having their whole lives affected because we're not talking about sexuality in a healthy way. In Europe, they do to a much greater extent. You know, having, you know, teaching them in Paris and France and having traveled most of Europe, I think they have a healthier way of talking about sexuality. That doesn't mean that they're trying to hold sex, sex seminars in the workplace, but it does mean that maybe there's an opportunity for us to look at how they handle it culturally in the ethos as a way of thinking, how can we create more inclusive and better workplaces in the world? And I also think too, from a somatic standpoint, we just have to become better adept and more attuned to recognizing the wisdom and the intelligence that we get from our bodies, even around things such as stress. Uh, I saw an interview by a psychologist, and I wish I remembered her name. And she said, many of us deal with stress and don't realize that it's stress. And then we ignore it and then wonder why at some point we have worse health outcomes. As we know, disease of the mind leads to disease in the body. And so if you're feeling, if you're having a headache, so for example, I was just talking with a cousin of mine this morning. He said, I'm having headaches. I said, why are you stressed? You know, he did kind of that, you know, uh, that male thing of, no, I'm okay. And I love him to death. But let's just pause there and think, what if you took a, a step back and identify what is that stressor? Then if you were able to do that, then you don't have to deal with ailments and diseases and maladies and all sorts of other things that can impact you in other ways that you're not even aware of. Because a headache could lead to you snapping on someone at work, you having an argument with your spouse, you not being your best self. So I think there's an opportunity for us to do that. And I think, you know, when we think about sex positivity, what we're really saying is it's okay for us to honor what's in the body. There's something to be said, there's wisdom to be gained from honoring what's in the body. So from a leadership standpoint, that's where I would ask or invite people to think and how to focus when you think about sex positivity. You kind of gave it a little throwaway, but I entirely support sex seminars in the workplace. And you know what? <laughs> I, I, I would too, but I think we're a long way from that. In terms of how they got clustered, Reverend Kelly, um, there's always patterns. And so uh, how do you fit these things together? And there are things that naturally fit together. And so, and it's also, I think, more manageable to ask people to think about nine leadership competencies, yeah. asking them to think about 15. I would also come back to something that you said earlier, or a question that you asked earlier in terms of why should people listen to a book, a leadership book that's inspired by the queer community? We listen to leadership, quote unquote, by cisgender, white, able-bodied, rich men all the time. And many of us are not cisgender, able-bodied, rich, white men from the global north who are who identify as Christians. So I think that we need to make room at the table to listen to other wisdom that has allowed people to do great things because the wisdom that we're listening to right now, I think it has a limited shelf life and I don't think it's gonna get us as far as we need to go. So that's- And, so, that's, and some of us have stopped listening to those old white men long ago. Yes. Um, I also think at the beginning when you, you made a comment about you know, it, I thought you were very generous, and I'm going to be more blunt about it, that that it was something to the effect of, and some of us have come across poor leadership, like there's good leadership, poor leadership, and some of us have come across poor leadership. And my first thought, my little note was, yeah, like all the time, <laughs> more all than time. probably we want to admit. So, well, I'm I sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Uh, I remember when I, I got fired from my last my second to last legal job in corporate America. And I was distraught. Uh, and essentially, you know, I don't agree with the reason. I thought it was bogus or BS, but it happened. And 
the person who uh, pushed for my termination was someone who was previously a peer who then became my supervisor. And we all know how those mm -hmm. things typically go. And I remember I was talking to my aunt, uh, who's with us in spirit, my aunt Margaret, about that experience. And she said, you know, why are you so upset? And I was like, because, you know, I got fired. That means I'm a bad person. I'm not a good worker. I've done something wrong. And she says, sweetie, you haven't lived until you've been fired. And what she was pointing to was the fact that oftentimes it's a function or a result of either you not conforming, you not dealing with BS, or you dealing with some really dysfunctional and poor leadership. And so we opened this conversation by me pointing to 2016 to 2020, but the reality is poor leadership has been in existence for a very long time since humans have been around, right? And so whether it's you know leading humans into an area where they're eaten by a beast, some creature, whether it's wars have been started, companies that have failed, environmental accidents that have taken place, politicians who've been elected who have done really poor things by parents who are not really good at what they do and don't see the humanity and honor the, the good within their children. We've seen it all the time. And so that's why I say we're, we're always are impacted by leadership. I happen to have the best leader in the world, who was my mom, who helped me to be who I am. And I think all of us could use kind of a refresher or restart or reset to think about, well, how can we correct, do some course correction? Because if we don't, collectively, the results can be fairly disastrous. And I think we're starting to see some of that, particularly with the big things like climate change and pandemics and things of that nature. Yeah, our our world is evolving in such a way that, as we've basically been alluding to, the old leadership styles don't work. In fact, Correct. it's the old leadership styles that got us here into the right mess that we are in. So, so we need different leadership styles in order to course to course correct. So, so I'm very grateful. Just, Go ahead. Well, I was just fired from a job in August for every reason that you just said. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We need. We need. We need new a new consciousness of leadership. Um, and 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 you're right to pull this to pull this from marginalized communities from indigenous communities um, is is where we is where we need to look because the the colonization consciousness and communities, yeah, it's 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 broken the world. So we gotta. Yes. We need we need the consciousness to put it together. Um, so so first of all, um, we we're about to wrap up, but let me just start by saying thank you for the work, thank you for the labor of love, thank you for the wisdom, thank you for the for the insight. More importantly, thank you for the leadership. And um, you know, if there's no takeaway that if, if the only takeaway anyone gets from this interview, I think is important. The very first thing you started by saying, we can't lead others till we lead ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and even if we don't think like, well, I'm not leading other people, you know, so this isn't a play to me, you are a presence in the world, your sphere of influence in the world, your leadership isn't, isn't normally a formalized place. It's right. just by who you are. And, and you spoke to this so well. So, so yeah, so, so this is a book for everyone. Um, I can't uh, wait to dive in and, and read it um, and pull from it. And um you know just thinking ahead here maybe this might be uh might be one of our future book studies and we'll have you come in and uh uh sit in sit in with the book club and 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 uh hear from some folk directly i would love that and i would say to any of your listeners 
out there who are thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. That's usually the indication that there's something in there for you to learn. Exactly. You can learn, you can learn from every community. And again, uh, when I encounter leaders and I do all the time and say, I got it. I think I know what I'm doing. I'm great, Joel. And I say, well, perhaps you don't got it. Perhaps yeah. you you should look at something because I think a good leader is always looking for ways to expand, to grow and to elevate themselves. I push myself to do that. Um, and, you know, I'll I'll end with, you know, a statement that I heard from my my beloved who, when I first met him, said to me, you know, I'm looking for someone with a growth mindset. And I was like, who talks like that? Who's, who says like that? And. But it's a wonderful thing to be in partnership with someone who recognizes that we can always learn, we can always grow. And as soon as you say that you can't learn anymore, hopefully you're not six feet under. But what I would say <laughs> right. is that those who are around you are probably going to be negatively impacted, including uh, you. So exactly. take a chance. I invite you to open the book. I invite you to sit with it. It's not going to be something that you're just going to read once and then put on your. No, I was just thinking that this is one of those you continually go back to because because of the way you have it set up and there's this wonderful questions and inquiry and practices with each chapter, the the themes, you know, pick one and work with that for a few months or whatever, and then go back to another one. So it, I'm, yeah, it's absolutely and go back and go back over and over. Yeah, and we're going to be doing that with our online community. And so uh, very soon, uh, in the next month or two, we're going to have our online community that's going to be focused on, you know, the queer leadership model. And of course, anybody's open and welcome to join. And we're going to be using the leadership conference to say, how can you apply this in your life? And, and where are the areas where, you know, perhaps you're not giving yourself enough love? Maybe there's some shadow work that you need to do. And how can you come out from this process and be better for it? So that will be coming fairly soon. In the meantime, I just want to thank both of you for the invitation and for your work and your consciousness and for making space and room for this. I can tell you that getting this book published was no easy feat. Uh, seven years ago, I contacted a publisher and they had all the niceties and all the, mm. the cute slogans about wanting to make the world a better place. And they dismiss this book and so that just told me they're not the right publisher but as we know all things come in due time and so here we are so i want to thank you both for the opportunity and the occasion and i look forward to having more conversations as the weeks and months go forward absolutely and you can buy this book the soul of queer folk uh wherever you get books amazon barnes and nobles i'm sure it's gonna be showing up in some physical bookstores sooner than later um so order it uh read it and also um, visit uh, newmost.com, P-N-E-U-M-O-S. Did I spell that right? You did. Look at you. P as in Papa, N as in Nancy, E as in Echo, U as in Uniform, M as in Mary, O as in Oscar, S as in Sam.com. Um, yeah. Yeah, there Thank we go. Uh, one last thing before you go, and I think we oh. may have done this with you before way back when, but... Um, we like to ask of our guests seven simple questions that don't really mean anything, but yet tell us everything about who you are. These are simple multiple choice questions. We give you options and you just pick the one that just first comes to mind and resonates uh, with you. The uh, key is don't overthink. Um, are right, you so ready? Like Jeopardy or something or? Uh, uh, there are no wrong answers here. That, no, it's not like Jeopardy because there are okay. no wrong answers. There's Let's just, do it. Let's They're just your answers. Okay. Uh, so here we go. So first of all, uh, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. 
Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh, push. Can I do push? <laughs> no. I'll say, all right. <laughs> I would say as of the latest iterations, Star Trek. There you go. Uh, city or country? Mm, nature. I would say country now um, in this part of my life, country. Okay. Beer, wine, or tequila? Kombucha. <laughs> I would say tequila. Sure, provide your own answers. Why not? Uh, yeah, yeah. We just say there were no wrong answers. Uh, Mexican, Chinese, or Indian food? Chinese tonight. Ebook, audiobook, or real book? Real book. And finally, Netflix or chill? And yes, it's what you think it is. Chill. There you go. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> he was thinking way too hard on that. No, yeah. I, was, I remember that our audience remember what's appropriate to say and what's not. So. Oh, well, or leave. listen, our audience, we always say the inappropriate, so you don't have to worry. Well, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my brother, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you, it's Joel. good to see you. Uh, thank and, you. And as uh, congratulations once again on the book. Yeah. Um, so yes, folks, um, please visit newmost.com. Please buy the souls of queer folk and give it a good there read. Uh, there up. you go. He's holding it up for the, for the video viewers. Um, and to remind folks that yes, you can watch this interview, uh, on Facebook live when we do record a podcast, generally Tuesdays and Thursdays at three ish, Tuesdays and Fridays. What I say, Thursday. Listen, man, I, I've I've lost track of all the days since here. It's it's a thing. Tuesdays and Fridays, three p.m. Eastern. Um, you can download the podcast uh, wherever you find podcasts. And again, if you have that one friend who doesn't know what a podcast is, you can hear us on the old school interwebs at with love and justice for all uh, this is our final episode of season two. We're going to take a little hiatus. We will come back at a date yet to be determined, which mostly is going to be like, hey, Kelly, you feel like starting up again next week? Okay, let's do that. So find out who shot JR. Yes. In the, <laughs> the season opening for the opener for season three. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> knows us all too well knows us all too well uh and please uh you can give donations and find out more about who we are at projectsanctus.com so until we meet again let's get our holy on